Hello, and welcome to special Diversity Month Cambridge Stronger podcast episode. I'm your host, Amy Weber, CEO of Cambridge and host of Cambridge Stronger, a podcast where culture counts and values matter most. This October, in recognition of Global Diversity Awareness Month, we celebrate and strive to increase awareness surrounding the diversity of all cultures and ethnicities. We appreciate the work of our Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Committee and Advisory Council in supporting a culture in which all members of our Cambridge community feel valued, respected, and most importantly, heard. For this special episode, I am proud to welcome April Lynn Chavez-Geisler, one of our DE&I committee members who has been instrumental in helping us create a more diverse and inclusive environment for all Cambridge associates and financial professionals. Her story is inspiring, and I'm excited to have her share it with our audience. Thank you for joining me today, April Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. I don't even know that I know everything about your story, but I know enough to know I was really, really inspired as I've learned more and more about you and how you got your start and why you're passionate about what you do. But I'd love for you to share that with our audience today. Absolutely. And it's, it's a little intense, but when I was 19, I was engaged to a man that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And it was a physically, mentally, and sexually abusive relationship. At one point when he had a gun to my head, I decided that I needed to get out of that relationship. It was not easy at all. I was living at home. My parents didn't understand the extent of the abuse. They actually didn't really know about it or didn't acknowledge it. And they liked him. They kicked me out of the house with the help of the police at that time, and I didn't have a place to live. So let me back up and say that at 19, I had already been passionate about having a career in the financial services industry for a couple of years. So I knew that I had to keep going to college and I had to achieve my finance degree. And so what I did was I lived in my car I spent a lot of time at the cafeteria, a lot of time at the libraries, and I took showers in the Johnson gym, and I just pursued my education. And I didn't really think so much about it. It was just what I did. And then somebody saw my plight. They kind of got wind of what my situation was. She rented me a room in her home, and she got me into therapy because I had some things to work through. I continued through college, and then I got a, a job at Ameriprise Financial, and I started as a receptionist and worked my way up, and I was able to start pursuing my career in the financial services industry, which I was extremely happy about. I ended up getting my degree in finance, and you know, for a long time, I didn't talk about my story. I didn't talk about my past because I thought that people would not view me as credible, that they would look down on me, and that they wouldn't take me seriously because of my past. So that fear caused me not to talk about my past until recently. So I have goosebumps, and I always do when I read or hear you tell parts of your story. So congratulations on your perseverance and the bravery that all of that must have taken. It is, as, as I said, so inspiring. But how in the world... By the time you were 19, did you know financial services was what you wanted to do? What, what led to that piece of it? Well, I was, I was in a program called DECA in high school, and my father had a financial advisor, and I saw how that person interacted with my family, interacted with my father in particular at the time. 
at the kitchen table. And I knew that I could also help people in that way. And I became passionate about helping people. I had a passion and a mission, and I didn't know how I was gonna make it happen, but through my grit and determination, I stayed in the game. I withstood a lot of pressure to become what I am now. I went out of my way to get to educate myself, not only in college, but to learn about the products and the processes and the systems. I did a lot of joint work. I found people, mostly men, who I begged to be my mentors and it worked. They are, there's no financial services Barbie, especially not a Hispanic financial services Barbie. So I searched and I found people and I was able to achieve my reality because I had a help from those in my community, in my world, I guess. I can't erase the struggle that I experienced. I can only channel it to be my best self. And I always say, let your struggle be your strength, not your identity. And it was through the industry, serving on committees, industry organizations like NAFA that I grew personally and professionally. I met with great leaders and mentors and now serving on the NAFA National Board. I am being, and being part of the Gateway leadership, I am, have found my voice and it hasn't been easy, but at times in the past, I often felt like I was climbing a mountain in heels and everybody else was wearing hiking boots and had plenty of water. So I had challenges that others didn't experience. So now I over-prepare for meetings. I make sure that I have the confidence that I need to be impactful in everything that I do and that I'm committed to doing. I understand the value of a different perspective, my perspective in this case, and I bring that to the boardroom and I help the organizations that I serve for, that I am involved in to be better for what they are doing. Do you serve in a capacity of a mentor for others now? Have you, are you giving back? Tell us a little bit about that. In my community, because of my past, I work with women in nonprofit organizations. I teach financial education. In my world, in our world, in this community, financial education sometimes looks very different from what we do as registered representatives every day, but I help them to budget. I help them to understand the importance of credit and I help them to be empowered. Oftentimes women will not leave bad situations because they don't understand the money and they don't feel confident that they can support themselves and often their children. So I help them to be empowered. And also I think that having a mentor or having somebody that they can look at and say, well, that person was where I am now and that person succeeded, whatever success looks like in their minds. But I think that we as women, as diverse people, that we have to stay in the game and we have to be there so that others can pursue what they need to pursue. I also know that we drink from wells that we did not dig. We impact those others that we don't expect to impact. We don't know who's looking at us. You know, like you, Amy, you serve on, you serve in a capacity that many people aspire to. And I think it's important that we stay in the game, even when it's hard and do our best. Couldn't agree more. And I really do appreciate you sharing that. I think, you know, the old saying, you can't be what you can't see. Hearing people like you talk about your experiences has to give the confidence to others as they 
go down their own journey, however that is. To your point, perspectives are different and personal experiences might be different, but just hearing that you made it through all of those things, you used the term grit earlier, I think that's a very fitting word for sure on what it must have taken. And it's the transparency that you're offering our listeners is very special. So thank you for that. Talk about how that translates into serving your clients from an insurance and investment perspective. For me, it's about finding solutions for clients' problems. It's not about selling products or services. We have a bevy of tools in our toolbox. And by actively listening, building trust, and coming back with valid questions, the beauty of having an insurance and financial services background is that I can pivot and find products and services that help them to plan for the expected and to also prepare for the unexpected. Where do you find your clients? Do you have a a particular marketing approach that you take or how is it that you attract those people that you want to work with? I believe that you have to have five sources of leads. Yes, there's always the referrals, but being involved in the community, doing the community work that I do brings me clients, not necessarily those that I'm training or educating or working with, but people who are also involved in the community and see my passion, they come to me because they know that I can also take care of them. We do radio advertising. You know, I write some articles here and there in my community, of course, through compliance. I'm out there and people see that I'm involved in Rotary. And I, again, I'm passionate about women and I was the camp director for a Rotary girls camp. I think that people see your passion and you attract your tribe of people. So if you continue to be who you are and you put that out there, you will get clients and you will achieve your dreams. And on the other side of the business, you are contributing to running a very successful organization from an enterprise perspective, right? You, you said earlier, you bring your skills to the boardroom. Talk a little bit about how Gateway functions as an organization and where your contributions are. Absolutely. My experience, my education, when I learned about the all aspects of the industry, I was and now able to take that and shift that and help others with practice management, helping them to run their businesses to be better at marketing and training their staff if they have staff, retooling themselves so that they can be effective. I think that that's very much a part of what we may be missing at some points in this industry. In the past, in this industry, we would learn soup to nuts. You had a mentor side by side with you for every aspect of learning and training when you first came in this business. We don't necessarily have that now. And so I think that we have to find those resources in other places. And so at Gateway, I'm able to, of course, have a voice in the boardroom, but also to help to manage the logistics and the day-to-day stuff that happens, the behind the scenes stuff, and work with the advisors to make sure that they are the best and most successful advisors they can be. That's great. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit in what is, in so many ways, was a challenging year, 2020. You were recognized by Investment News as a Woman to Watch honoree. Congratulations again. So excited when we learned that you were going to be recognized. Tell us what that honor meant to you and how is it important to women in the industry? 
It is an amazing honor to be recognized for achieving your goals and following your passion. I thank you again. I have realized that when I push forward and overcome the challenges, stay in the game, pick myself up and brush myself off and do all the things that I do day in, day out, that that is recognized. And so it's an amazing honor to, to be recognized. And like I said before, we drink from wells that we did not dig. We stand on the shoulders of those that came before us. So I know that every day that I am not just doing what I do for myself, but I'm doing that for those women, those Hispanics, other diverse people who come after me. And I have been able to be in places that I'm at because others have paved the road before me. And I wanna to continue to pave the road for others that come in the future. Your leadership is very, very important. And again, congratulations. That was really fantastic. Thank you. You're also, you're busy is what you are, <laughs> but you're also a member of Cambridge's Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Advisory Council. Thank you for taking such an important position for us. Tell our audience a little bit about that council and your role on that team. Yes, it includes a diverse group of advisors and CIR staff who are working to create an inclusive environment here at Cambridge. It's important that we create an environment that helps people to feel engaged and involved and comfortable. The council is in no way trying to diminish people who are already involved and engaged. It only seeks to empower everyone to feel like they have a place here at Cambridge. The DEI Council hopes to celebrate the differences because diversity will and has made Cambridge better. Different perspectives and a way to help people is the common goal of our industry, right? So building that inclusive character will help to have a sustainable broker-dealer and thus be able to maintain our own practices to grow and be better. Well said, yes. I have really enjoyed being a part of this diversity, equality, and inclusion, always been very important to Cambridge, but formalizing it the way that we have recently and finding individuals in our family, such as yourself, to help contribute to the direction and the areas that we focus on, in my opinion, has really propelled us even farther forward. And I agree, we're stronger together and I think we're going to accomplish great things. So I appreciate you spending time on that as well. Thank you. So let's talk about what you do when you're not working. What is it, if any, because based on the conversation we've just had, you, as I said, you're very, very busy and you're, you're involved in a lot of things, but what do you like to do outside of the office? What do your hobbies look like? So I, I have a motorcycle. I have the fastest Harley off the line and I ride my motorcycle when I get a chance. I did not know not that about you. That's I fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the power and the speed and the, you know, all that comes with it. I also have a nine-year-old daughter that I love spending time with. She is my world and she's amazing. I love watching her learn and gain her, her voice. Her name is Cambria with a K. She's wonderful. And I am, I've talked to compliance about this. I'm writing a book where I'm telling my story and helping to inspire others in, in a format that's a little bit different from what I've done in the past, but a lot of people said that I should write a book, put it, put it down in writing, and that way I can help inspire others. Because once I started telling my story, I am amazed at how many people also have stories that they are now inspired to tell and share and 
to, you know, it's cathartic to be able to talk about what you've been through and that now you are a survivor. And I, I hope to inspire others to, to be survivors and to, to share to the degree that they're comfortable. You mentioned earlier that it took you a while to get comfortable sharing your story. And one of the reasons, and these are my words, not yours, but what I heard you say was part of the reason you didn't was because you were fearful, perhaps, that people would use it against you, right? It would affect your credibility or diminish what everything else that you tried to build through all of those years. How did you find the strength to suddenly, was there a moment where you just woke up and said, you know what, today's the day? Or how did you find the strength to come out and share your story? I had a couple of situations where I had clients in my office, females, and they alluded to it. And they were having trouble planning for themselves because they had this block and they didn't, again, feel comfortable telling their story. So what I did was I shared my story or at least parts of it. Like I, at the beginning, I would, I would just allude to it. And they were much more comfortable with me because I was now vulnerable and they started to share their story. And so then I could better understand what their issues were, what their problems were and how I could better help them. So I have found that by, by sharing my story to the degree that it's appropriate, even with men, that they are much more willing to let me help them, that trust is built, they understand that I am very much there to help them, that I'm, it's not a self-serving situation that I, I later on today, I have uh, an appointment with a woman, life insurance, she lost her husband this last fall, and she is coming to me because I have told her the story. I actually tried to insure her husband. It's a, it's a long story, but I was, I'm very honored to be able to help her to plan her future because now she is a single mother with, a, you know, she needs to get her finances in order. She's lucky to have you. That's for sure. Aprilyn, what are the other things that you've thought about as it relates to increasing the diversity in our industry over the years that you've been working on that? One of the things that I have talked about and I had submitted to the DEI Council from the beginning is I, I feel that compliance needs to allow for certain advisors to have materials in languages that are other than English. And I know that Cambridge is working on that to some degree. I think that a little push in that direction will be very helpful for advisors working specifically in Spanish markets, in Mandarin markets. And I think that we can facilitate people to learn and understand and empower themselves financially if they have materials, compliant materials in their languages. Is that one of the challenges that you and the advisors that you work with find to be the, the most frustrating when you're sitting down with people who perhaps English isn't their first language? It's a huge barrier to building that common relationship. In fact, I had submitted a PowerPoint because I, I present and some of my PowerPoint was in Spanish although it was translated and, and I had to take all of that out because it was not compliant. And it's hard for me to speak to organizations or people when I'm 
only speaking or giving them materials in English and they can't grasp the relationship or the concepts in English. And then I suspect, as I've heard from others about this particular topic, that in many cases that frustration simply leads to them leaving the table and they're not effectively investing and protecting themselves from a financial perspective. And that's really, as a whole, what our industry should be helping people solve. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, we have a huge gap in our industry as far as coverage. And if people don't feel comfortable, if they are not willing to have the conversations about planning for their future, then with you or me, they are not going to do it with anybody else. Absolutely. Any other tips or advice you'd like to give someone who's thinking about getting into our industry or more importantly, maybe they're frustrated about a lot of the things you and I are talking about right now where they're thinking about getting out of our industry? That unfortunately happens as well, we know. Any last words that you'd like to say to our listeners to inspire them to stick with it? Absolutely. I always say, let your struggle be your strength, not your identity. So we all have struggles. Let that struggle be channeled within you. Use the power that you have inside you to achieve your dreams, to do the things that you want to do. Be your best self and don't deny that you had a struggle. Let it help you. Great advice. You are Cambridge Stronger. Thank you for trusting us. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. And I hope to see you in person very soon. Same here. I'm very excited to see everybody at Cambridge Ignite. Wonderful. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at CambridgeStronger.com. That's CambridgeStronger.com.